So uh, welcome again to Apex. Um, again, and if you're new here, we do things a bit differently here to start out with. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to read a passage of scripture all together. And, and after I read it, I, I want to have everyone read it to themselves once again silently. And, and as you're reading, you're one, I want you to think about what stands out to you in this passage. What, what, what kind of... Uh, uh, makes you pause or, or what like really just catches your attention. And after you think about that for a minute, we're going to have you share that with the person next to you. And then after we take a moment of that, we're going to have some microphones going around and we'll take a handful of ideas that we'll, rec we'll record on this whiteboard. So you can think of it a little bit of as like think, pair, share uh, kind of model. And uh, once we do that, I'll give a bit of like a, a brief sermon, just kind of uh, encapsulating some of the, the thoughts there. So we've been in the book of Philippians, actually been in, we just started it last week. Uh, we started in Philippians 1. And the situation with Philippians is, uh, it's interesting because Paul is, has been arrested, he's, he's in chains, he's imprisoned. Uh, there's a debate about exactly where he is, but what's, what's interesting is that this is one of the most, um, th the tone is the, among the most positive toned letters in the New Testament. I mean, Paul is just completely joyful in spite of what's going on with him. And so he is expressing to the Philippians in chapter one th that he is grateful for their partnership in the gospel. And, and today what we'll read is he's writing to reassure them that even though it seems that things aren't going so well for him, in terms of God's big purposes, things are going exactly uh, as they are meant to go. So um, before I get started, I, I do need uh, a bit of a volunteer. I need a little help of recording on the whiteboard. So do we have anyone who is um, able to write and spell and be on stage today? Do we have anyone? Rebecca, my friend Rebecca, come on up. Everyone give Rebecca some encouragement today. She comes up. And so as Rebecca is going to come up and, and hang out with me here, we're going to go ahead and um, read the passage together. Today we are in Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 12 to 26. And uh, on the slide there, um, <laughs> there's some lyrics there kind of blocking a bit of what's going on there. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of like some of the core values that we have with this kind of what we call discovery Bible method. And I'm, I'm not going to go through those, but you can kind of uh, read those. Again, we want to really emphasize sticking with what's within the passage and not, you know, quoting Matthew Henry or John Calvin or any, anybody like that. We want to stick with what's there uh, in the passage. So Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is from the NIV version. Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will, remain, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. So um, we're all gonna read this passage again. Uh, you can read it uh, in the Bibles that you have with you or it'll be on screen again. So read it quietly to yourself and be reflecting upon what stands out to you, what um, really uh, catches your attention and after we do that for a minute, we're gonna you know, turn to one another in, our, in the seats and share what your reflection was, okay? So let's take a minute to do that. Okay, go ahead and take a minute and uh, whatever stood out to you, go ahead and, and share that 
with the person uh, next to you. And let's be sure that both people get an opportunity to speak. We'll take, um, we'll take a brief moment here to do so. I'll grab this so you'll do that side there. Oh, no, no, not at all. There's two markers. <laughs> yeah. As you land the plane on uh, your final sentences here, we're going to invite our microphone folks up. We have uh, Jazzy and Bella, with a little fanfare there. <laughs> Jazzy and Bella. Bella, her, she's got a birthday coming up on Tuesday. She turns 13, you guys. Woo. Guys, I'm the father of a teenager. <laughs> Um, it'll be, they'll, they'll take care of it up there. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. So um, if you have something you'd like to share, go ahead yeah. and raise a hand and the microphone people will come around to you. And Rebecca and I will record what you say on the board. And just uh, to, to, to kind of think out loud, uh, and to give a bit of guidance, if you're ever up here uh, writing, uh, what we like to do for, so that most everyone in the room can see is we like to write in capital letters uh, up to four inches long. Four inches, capital letters. That's, those are Mike's guidelines, so we're trying to keep consistent. And the other day I was thinking, how do you measure four inches? So I wondered if I have any fingers that are four inches, and I do, but it would be impolite to show you which finger of mine is four inches. So I'll show you, it's one of these two is the, the four inch finger there. So uh, with a show of hands, which one of you, who has something to say? Anybody? And the girls will c come around to you. So, so Bella, just and Jazzy, find whoever's got their hands up and we'll, we'll take care of it. Let's see, and be sure, of course, as we always, uh, be sure to say your name, even if you assume everyone here knows you. We, we could get to know your name, again, to be reinforced. So, hi, who are hi. you? Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, these comments are from our two, our two daughters here. Awesome. Haley is nine, and what stood out to her was that Paul was torn between two things. He wanted to go to heaven, but he um, wanted to stay on earth and do the things that God had planned for him. Yes. Awesome insight, so good. So we'll say, Paul was torn. <laughs> so Paul torn between heaven and earth. Yeah, how's that? Does that sound good? All right, well go ahead. Uh, Jazzy, do you have um, someone over there? My name is Abby, and that was actually part of mine. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Abby. Hi. Um, 
yeah, I thought it was really interesting that he was torn between those two options, whether it was like death or suffering, when I think that there technically was a third option of you could just give up and be done, Mm -hmm. but that was never an option for him. Yeah. Yeah, give up, so kind of give up and just kind of be pessimistic about things, you mean? Like, oh, I'm going to die and it's horrible or whatever. So, so Paul was actually, like, you could say that Paul was choosing joy? So, the, the, so like, the choices were between joy and giving up? Is that good? You want to cover that, Rebecca? Nice one. All right. Cool. Got one more right here. Over there? Okay. Sorry, one more for... Um, no, we're going to double dip here? Yeah. Well, this is for Ashley. Got it. She's six. Um, the part that stood out to her that she wanted to say was that some people preached um, out of jealousy and bitterness. That was what stood that out to her. That was mine. Yeah? That, it, she, she said how, she's how old? Six. Six. So good, you guys. That's awesome. Way to pay attention. Well done. So some people, uh, people preach from different motives. Uh, some from... Uh, what would you say? Some from jealousy and others out of goodwill and love? Yeah, that's great. Um, so we'll say, we'll call it two motives of preaching. Yeah, is that good? All right. Jazzy, you have somebody over there? Hey, I'm Joan, and uh, joy is up there, but what struck me is Paul's concern and his joy was the advance of the gospel. So, that living for the gospel. Living for the gospel. Yes, absolutely. So good. Yeah. And that like living for the gospel in a sense was his joy, is his source of joy, right? Awesome. All right, where am I? I'm getting lost in the lights here. Hi, what's hey, your name? My name's Jim Leonard. Hey I'm Jim. Jim's dad. Awesome. Um, hey. I look at it from the point of view of two, his perspective. He was in prison twice in Rome, mm-hmm. right? He mm-hmm. was once in a house confined to the palace guard, and another time he was actually in a dungeon, and people don't realize that dungeon, if you've seen it, I'm 6'1". I had to stand with my head to the side, yeah. no windows. So his perspective of Philippians, be joyful, preach the gospel. When you understand his circumstances, you can understand after being beaten and shipwrecked and mm-hmm. stoned, I'd much rather, I saw the glimpse of heaven, so I'd rather go there. So when you start adding it all up, it's like, how can you be joyful? You're in yeah. chains in prison, but he still was. So, so his perspective. Can we call it <coughs> joy beyond circumstances or, or joy in beyond, the dungeon? <coughs> excuse me, beyond understand, our understanding. Joy beyond understanding. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, we, I mean, that's like, it's like supernatural joy, right? It's got to be. Yeah. We'll say joy beyond understanding. Love that. All right, Jazzy, what do we got coming up over there? My name's Greg, and I have more of a question. Um, In verse 20, it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to hear more about that, his fear of being ashamed, like ashamed of what? Failure, backing down, you know, et cetera. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, off the cuff, when you think of, uh, if, if he's, I'll, I'll try to be brief here, but um, if he's using the, the words, you know, courage, that he'll have sufficient courage, and then being unashamed, uh, he's thinking that God's going to grant him the courage 
uh, as opposed to in the face of death, you know, kind of buckling or um, not, of not having courage or, you know, um, maybe um, compromising in certain ways. So he's confident that he'll have courage and that he won't end up being shamed for, you know, maybe like denying the gospel or trying to like eke out of it, if that makes sense. Does that, does that resonate a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So maybe put put a question of um, a question of courage, courage and shame. Um, Bella, yeah. Hi, I'm Maddie. Hey, Maddie. Um, what stood out to me was that he said that he was in there for God, like for what he was doing. Because I know a lot of people, like probably myself included, would have just said, "I'm in here because of uh, why I was preaching the gospel, because I was doing this stuff, not for him." Ah, so, um, so he recognized the purposes of his circumstances. Yeah. yeah? Is that good? All right. So I'll write the purpose. I feel like I'm writing big words. <laughs> the purpose of his circumstance. This is great. You guys are doing awesome. Uh, Jazzy, who we got? Hi. Hello. I'm Mark. Hi, Mark. Uh, I thought it was interesting that he didn't seem to be worked up or upset at all about the people who were talking about Jesus for the wrong reasons. Yeah. He, instead of complaining about it and complaining about what their motives were and how, you know, they, they shouldn't be talking about this. They don't know what they're talking about. He instead rejoiced that they were actually helping to get the word out, yeah. even if their heart wasn't in the, in the right place. Totally. What what a what a gracious posture Paul had here. Where I mean, where I'm sure he could have like you know probably quoted scripture and just tore him up and down, going like, "You guys are like way off," or like, "How how could you guys be mean about this?" But instead, he's like, "Look, yeah, they're talking bad about me. They're trying to start trouble for me. But you know what? The gospel's getting out." And so, like, I don't care. I don't care about what they're saying about me. What I care is what they're saying about Jesus. What I, what I care about is what they're saying about the gospel. And so that, that is a posture of self-forgetfulness, right? Um, keeping the main thing the main thing. Do you want me to say self-forgetfulness? If you, if you feel like writing that, yeah, let's say self-forgetfulness. Yeah, that's great. I like your handwriting, Rebecca. You're doing great. Oh, oh yeah. We'll take, I think we have room for uh, maybe a couple more because this is where we're starting to bend our knees a little bit, aren't we? And it gets uncomfortable to write on <laughs> like that. So, uh, Bella, I've lost you. There you are. Hey, who we got? Hi, I'm Ann. Hi, Ann. Hi. I have two if that's okay. Sure. Uh, as long as they're like, you know, short sentences. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Kay and I back here looked at verse 19 and we love that it says, um, through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ, what has happened will turn out for my deliverance. Mm. Um, he's like dependent on the others, you know, for their prayers. Mm. And he's dependent on the spirit that this is going to be for his good. Um, so it's not really just coming from his own inner strength, but from prayers of others and from the spirit. Yeah. So we were just talking about the need for Christ in you and that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to share because it really hit home in a personal way was when he says about like, you know, I won't be ashamed, um, but to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um, my dad said that when he was diagnosed with cancer 
he said for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That was like one of his first responses. And he did pass. And so I just know from personal experience, I think what he's saying is like, I can carry myself through whatever happens with my head held high with complete confidence. Um, even if I pass, even if I, people think, oh, he just died, you know, like he died for Jesus and that could look at as like, could be looked down upon, Sure. but he's like, by the way I carry myself through this, I won't be ashamed. So yeah. Yeah. When Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is gain, that that's not a Hallmark card sentimentality. (laughs) It's real life. And, and Anne's testimony and the testimony of her father is that's, that's real. Yeah. That's real life stuff. Thank you for that, Anne. So we're thinking of Paul's dependence on others and the Spirit. So he's not kind of like, you know, bootstrapping himself to joy, the Spirit. And, um, oh, yeah, there, there's a whole, whole space up there. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, live, I'll just, yeah, live is Christ, death is gain, yeah, awesome, all right, I think we'll take one more, you can circle that, sure, one more from Jazzy, where, there we are. Um, So I'm Anna. Hi, Anna. And what I thought was really cool is, like, he starts with talking about his circumstances helping to advance the gospel, which we've kind of touched on. But verse 14 says, like, how and why? And the how is that the fellow brothers in the Mm. area are filled with confidence and Mm. boldness to speak the word because of his imprisonment. And I felt like that was convicting for God's people. Like, if you were in prison for speaking God's word, would that fill me with confidence and boldness to do the same? Yeah. That's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, just uh, it, the um, brothers and brothers being emboldened and the question of if we would do the same. We'll let Paul, Paul here, because your name is Paul, we'll let Paul, we'll, we'll let Paul sneak in here with one, one, one last one. And uh, actually, happy birthday, Bella. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> mine, mine is tomorrow, so I'm at least one day older than you. So. Oh, so Paul's got a birthday too. One day older, just one day 60. older. Sixty. Um, no, actually, it's related. I, it was really just Mark and I both struck by, you know, his intrepid confidence, you know, and that and that in this confidence, he must have been interacting with people outside of the prison for them to themselves be emboldened to um, speak, yeah. uh, you know, with that same fearlessness. Yeah. So, like, not only is he getting the prayers of others, he's he's able to kind of hear back and observe what they're doing. And it's, it's almost, pro- I can imagine it being an encouragement for him going like, yeah, this, this isn't in vain. Like, um, it's, if it's stirring you guys up for it, then, th- then it's totally worth it, right? So um, his like, confidence is increasing by the actions of others, right? Yeah. We'll pretend that you did. <laughs> I think maybe uh, an, e, uh, an E after the N, between the N and the D. Uh, an E th- after the N? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I have no idea. So Paul's... Oh, I'm married to him. <laughs> confidence. Is that right? Yeah. Paul's confidence was encouraged 
by others. What do we think, guys? Is this, uh, is this, a, is this a good study here? It's a good time? Yeah, let's, let's thank the Lord for what he has done. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, girls, you can have a seat or you can put the mics up if you want or, and all that. So, well, uh, there is not much for me to preach after all that, you guys. You, you guys pretty much covered it. But um, uh, I guess I'll, I'll wrap things up with um, some reflection here. Um, I think it's probably a universal experience, and with a show of hands, let me know it. Um, have you ever had this situation where you've had a problem and your attempts to solve the problem actually made the problem even worse? Has, has that happened for anybody? Like, you know, like maybe there was a stain and you tried to, like the way you try to rub it out, you just kind of smeared it and made it worse. Maybe you once, you know, spilled Dr. Pepper on the couch and after dabbing it up, you tried to dry it with a hairdryer and end up leaving a burn mark. That's Ollie specific. I'm sure no one's done that in here. <laughs> but an ultimate example of, you know, your, your solution to your problem backfiring was the great rat massacre of Hanoi in 1902. I'm sure many of you are thinking, oh yes, the great rat massacre of 1902. That's exactly what I was thinking, right? But uh, so Hanoi, of course, is a city in Vietnam. And a long time ago, it was part of, Vietnam was part of what was called Indochina. And it was colonized by the French. And the French wanted to make Hanoi more like a French city. And one of the things they had to do to make it more like a French city was to build houses with flushing toilets. And in order to make houses with flushing toilets, you had to establish a sewer system. So they constructed some nine miles of sewer pipe. But what they end up doing in establishing this nine miles of sewer pipe is that they gave rats a dark, safe haven away from predators. So without the predators controlling the population of the rats, the rat population kind of boomed, and that became a huge problem for the city. So what the French governing officials did is that they hired rat hunters to go and to try to eradicate this rat problem. And, but over the months, these rat hunters would bring in thousands and thousands of rat carcasses, but it was apparent that they were barely making a dent in this whole problem. So what the French officials then did was that they uh, commissioned the entire city, everyone in the city, to kill rats, and they would incentivize them by by paying them. In other words, we'll, we'll give you like a penny per rat, basically. Uh, but but they, they didn't want to have to deal with the rat carcasses, carcasses, so they just said, just bring us the tail as proof of you killed a rat. So over time, the, the people of Hanoi would bring thousands and thousands of rat tails, but it seemed that over time that it still wasn't making a dent in the problem. And eventually, the French officials began to notice this phenomenon in the city of rats without tails. <laughs> so what the people were doing was catching the rat and cutting off the tail and bringing the tail in. Why? Because if you set that rat free, it goes and does what? Breeds and makes more rats. And more rats means more rat tails. And more rat tails means more money. Rat tails became a cash crop. In fact, people in the countryside would go and breed rats and import them into the city. Talk about backfiring. 
So, and, t- and today, Hanoi still has a rat problem. So talk about, you know, your, your attempts at solving a problem, making it even worse. Well, I have good news for you today. That this illustration of the Hanoi rat massacre, I'm not applying it to your life when your solutions have made your problems worse. I'm applying it to where human evil and spiritual evil tries to solve its problem of the gospel that just makes their problem even worse. I mean, imagine this conversation that Satan has with himself or his, or his minions. You know what? We, get, we need to stop the spread of this gospel. You know what we got to do for that? Let's get Paul thrown into prison. That way Paul stops preaching and all the other Christians around will kind of shy away and they'll crawl into the dark like little cockroaches and we won't have this gospel problem anymore. Did that work? Nah, nah. It did not work. It backfired. If if anything, it threw gasoline on the fire. And so Paul writes, I want, to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, These things that Paul is dealing with, these circumstances, this, you know, imprisonment, he's like, look, I've been able to talk to the Imperial Guards and the brothers have been emboldened. You know, my mugshot hasn't made them shy away. It's in fact like given them courage. And he says, you know, and, and there's, yeah, there's some people who are like trying to stir up trouble for me. I, I, I don't, we don't exactly know what this looked like, but we can kind of think about it in modern terms. People saying, okay, finally, Paul is in jail. What we're going to do is we're going to build bigger churches than Paul. We're going to have better preachers than Paul. We're going to have better programs, and we're going to make more disciples than Paul. And then you know what Paul says about this? (laughs) Go right ahead. Be my guest. Is the gospel being advanced? I don't care if my name's on it or not. You go. I mean, it would be nice if you would, like, not be so mean about it, but, like, you go. But then Paul But then Paul starts to think, talk about death a little bit. He starts to talk about, you know, whether I live or whether I die, but my whole point is honoring Christ in my body. You know, because to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I I love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his prize. Life versus more life. I can't lose. You couldn't threaten Paul. Paul was untouchable. I I mean, what could you threaten Paul with? Paul, stop preaching the gospel or we'll throw you into prison. Paul says, fine, I'll convert your guards and my brothers will go and carry on the work for me. Paul, stop preaching the gospel or we'll cause trouble for you and I'll preach you. (laughs) Are you preaching the true gospel? Be my guest. Paul, stop preaching the gospel or we will kill you. Kill me and then I get to be with Jesus? Did you just threaten me with paradise? Paul was untouchable. Do you know why Paul was untouchable? Because the center of his life was unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. In spite of Paul being in prison, and, and in spite of Paul being threatened with death, I mean, so for Paul, I mean, even death itself, I mean, for him personally, it was, you know, a good thing. It was uh, an entrance to be in the presence with Christ. 
but, but we know from a church father who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we can look in history, all the efforts to snuff out the light of Christianity only throws gasoline on the fire. The gospel is unstoppable. It's always going to do its thing. And even though it feels like the, the influence of the gospel is decreasing here in the West, I can assure you worldwide, it's still exploding in places. Latin America, South America, Africa, Asia. Uh, most people estimate that in the coming decades, there will be more Christians in China than in America. In spite of all the government pressure to snuff it out, the gospel is going to do its thing because the gospel is unstoppable. So, let's put it in these terms. You might want to write it down. If you're watching online, put this in the chat. When the center of your life is unstoppable, your joy is untouchable. When the center of your life is unstoppable, your joy is untouchable. Turn to your neighbor. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, when the center of your life is unstoppable, your joy is untouchable. <laughs> what was the center of Paul's life? The center of Paul's life was Jesus and the gospel. And because those things weren't going to change, because, because those things were at his core, those, the circumstances were not going to shake him or shake his joy. And here is where we begin to talk about um, what joy really is. Because, you know, we often, sometimes we talk about the difference between happiness and joy. And typically, it's happiness is circumstantial, right? It's, it's the stuff that is happening to us, the stuff that's happening outside of us. I'm happy because of the circumstances in my life are going well. I'm going happy because of the, the rays. I'm happy because of things in my family are going well. Uh, and so external circumstances often make us happy. But joy is deeper than that. Joy is an attitude that we have, an attitude of hope in God, even when circumstances aren't exactly what we would want them to be. Now, some people say that happiness is circumstantial, but joy is not circumstantial. And to some degree, that's right, but I want to tweak that a little bit. And I want to argue that joy is circumstantial. Hear me out. Happiness is based on immediate and temporal circumstance. Joy is based on ultimate and eternal circumstance. Do you get the difference? Happiness is immediate circumstance. Joy is based on ultimate circumstance. Ultimate circumstance of the fact that we are children of God and forgiven and we are co-heirs with Christ. That is an ultimate circumstance. And apart from that, we can't have true joy. Apart from that, joy is just it's mere sentiment. So joy is circumstantial, but it's based on ultimate circumstance rather than immediate circumstance. Now, to go further with this idea that joy isn't merely circumstantial, there's actually studies done from the University of Stanford that point out that people who have similar circumstances can be ex have different attitudes and, and um, have an outlook that is completely different than, than one another. It's, it's all about your internal response to the thing that is happening to you. So it says, they say that the average unhappy person 
spends twice as much time thinking about unpleasant events than pleasant events, while happy people think about things that brighten their day and their personal outlook on life. So as Paul says, think of things above, not things on the earth. If you want to know that how can I get joy, you do have a say in it. You can cultivate joy. It's not merely a natural uh, disposition, it's actually a supernatural disposition, but that you can partner with God in it by uh, exchanging your habits for practices, being intentional about it. Joy is a deliberate choice. There's a, um, a pastor friend of mine who uh, shared that, you know, back in the early days of COVID, he would, you know, be watching the news and there would be this like death ticker where this number of death would just kind of keep going higher and higher and higher. And in the other corner was showing like what the stock market was doing and it was not going well. And, and jokingly he says, gee, why do I feel so anxious right now? And in that moment, he said, it was as, it was as if the Lord was tapping on his shoulder and saying, look, what you consume is what you conform to. What you consume is what you conform to. What you, uh, and what you practice in your thinking literally shapes your brain and shapes your outlook on life. And we can think, you know, they talk about you know, neural pathways, right? Uh, and it's kind of like if you walk the same path over and over and over, eventually that path gets wider and wider. It's like you're taking a machete to it each time. And so like you have fewer and fewer weeds to deal with, but that path is just getting wider and wider. And when it's wider, it's easier to walk that path. So the more you think a certain way, the easier it is to rethink that certain way. I was recently doing, um, I'm going to be doing a wedding here in a few weeks. And I was recently talking to the bride and groom and, and she was sharing how she has a little bit of guilt because of the debt she's bringing into the marriage because of her student loans. And she just kept thinking about this and it, it's kind of like a heavy thing for her. And I said, okay, well, let's, maybe let's think about it in a different way. And I said, because, you know, uh, do you think you would have the career that you have without your education? And she says, no, probably not. I'll say, look, you don't merely bring debt to the marriage, you also bring an income. And do you think that that most likely that that income is gonna outlast your student loans, which are temporary? She's like, well, yeah, I never thought of it like that. And of course, income aside, she, of course, as a person made the image of God, brings way more into the marriage than just debt. But I said, you need to stop thinking that way. And you can practice rethinking a certain way. Um, I, I imagine that some of us have heard this um, story that they attribute uh, as, a, as a Cherokee story. There's a grandfather talking to a grandson, and he, the grandfather says that every person has a, two wolves living within them. Have you heard this story? You know, the two wolves living within you. One wolf represents you know, evil and greed and anger. The other wolf represents love and joy and, and compassion and, and uh, self-giving and everything. And the grandson asks, well, which wolf is going to win in this battle between these two wolves? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. And we can think about it this way. We have two wolves within us. The wolf that says that happiness is based on my immediate circumstance. Or the wolf that says my joy is based on my ultimate circumstance. Which wolf is going to win? I feel like sometimes we feed ourselves 
we feed that wolf within us that says, it's all about my circumstance, my immediate circumstance. We need to retrain how we think about it. It's what Paul says in Romans, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need to carefully think about our habits of thinking. And when we see ourselves going down that negative route, pause and choose a new path. And there's, um, <clears throat> and there's one way that we can do that. And that is by consciously practicing gratitude. Consciously practicing gratitude, giving thanks. First Thessalonians 5.16 says that rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy and thanks go hand in hand. Gratitude is fertilizer for joy. And that's just not, you know, a fun idea from Christians. Psychology is confirming this as well. There's a psychologist named Robert Emmons who conducted a study of people who, uh, for a, a period of time, uh, kept a gratitude journal. And they compared the findings of the people who wrote a gratitude journal versus the people who journaled either neutral or negative things. And they found that the people who practiced a gratitude journal uh, had better immune systems, experienced less aches and pains, got better sleep, had a better outlook on life, were more outgoing, felt less isolated and lonely, and um, all sorts of things went well for them. Um, another psychologist discovered that, you know, um, the practicing gratitude reduces uh, cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and the, the management of the autonomic nervous system, which in turn can reduce the symptoms of depression and anxiety. Gratitude can literally change the chemistry of your brain. But going beyond that, there's, um, there's a uh, Benedictine monk named Brother uh, David Steindl Rost who says that the root of joy is gratefulness. It is not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. We all have something to be grateful for. If you are breathing air today, that is a gift. And it is appropriate to be grateful for gifts. <laughs> Henry Nouwen says that joy does not simply happen to us. In other words, joy isn't going to be something that happens to us by accident. It's something to be pursued. He says we have to choose joy and to keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge, our safety, and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Joy is beyond our circumstances. So as we wrap up today, I want someone to remind me, what are the two big questions of discipleship that we ask here at Apex? What's the first one? What is God saying to me? Yeah, what does God's word say to us? What is God saying? And then what are you going to do about it, Jesse? Yeah. What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? Jesus says, don't just, the one who, the wise man is the one who builds his house on the rock, the one who hears the word of God and puts it into practice. And what I want to propose to you today are that, is that hard circumstances can serve as an opportunity for us to reflect on what is God wanting to teach me through this situation? What is it that God is saying to me through this situation? 
And then we get to ask, so what am I do, going to do about it? Am I going to take this situation and allow it to embitter me? Or will I complain? What's going to be my attitude? Or will I choose joy? Will I choose joy and will I choose gratitude? So the band's going to come up. And what I want us to invite us to do for the next minute is to once again turn to one another in the pews. And I want you to talk about your intentions for this week. Based on the message that you have heard today from Philippians, from Paul, what is it that you're going to do in response? Does it have something to do with gratitude? Or what, what is it that you're going to do to um, cultivate joy within your heart? Because it's not simply about like forcing and grinning and bearing it and, and just saying like, I know this really is terrible, but I'm gonna choose joy anyway. I mean. What is it that you're going to do to cultivate joy within your heart so that when the circumstances bump into you, what leaks out is not in bitterness, but what leaks out is joy. What are you going to do to cultivate true joy within yourself in spite of the circumstances that you experience? Turn to one another and talk about your intentions for this week.